Hi, I'm Terry Zabolski, pastor of Grace Community Church in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I'd like to thank you for listening to this week's message. I hope and trust that God's Word is a blessing to you as you live for Him each and every day. Take your Bible and look at Ephesians chapter 5. We're continuing in our brief uh, series on the family, and, and last week we saw the first marriage, and we discovered that certainly marriage was not man's idea whatsoever. Men and women did not come up with this idea. You know, this idea of the sociologist, that man grunted, grabbed one by the long hair, and dragged her out of the cave. I mean, I sat in classes where they taught that stuff. I mean, people that seemed to be pretty bright taught that kind of nonsense. Absolutely fictitious. God has designed marriage, and the first marriage was, we say, made in heaven. Shall we say that? It was a garden wedding with all the beauty of the flowers and everything else. Beautiful. God had made Adam uh, in that creative week. And the capstone of all creation was uh, the beautiful bride he had made for Adam when he looked at him and said, for the very first time, recorded in the Bible, not good, not good. And we said, this man, what does man need? And we all discovered he needs a helper. And we said, isn't that so? And so many of the ladies' voices yelled, amen, last week. And we know that that's true. And uh, guys, we know that's true. And we know it's true. Well, we want to continue today. And we're going to go ladies first. How about that? Ladies first in this whole thing on what is the biblical role uh, for a wife. And in Ephesians chapter 5 uh, is going to be our focus text this morning uh, as we discover that. Let's, uh, let me just give you the context as Paul writes to this church in Ephesus which is located in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, as we would say. This uh, church that loved the Lord, and now he's away, and he writes this letter back called an epistle, and he tells them uh, that they, uh, they need to uh, be being filled with spirit in 517. Back it up to that point, and we'll see what he's talking about uh, insofar as uh, 517, but then 18 particularly, uh, Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to all sorts of debauchery. Instead, rather, be, and the idea is, is, is present uh, uh, imperative, be being filled with Spirit, the Holy Spirit, as a, as a Christian. And then we saw previously, there, you know, give three evidences of it. How do, how do I know if I'm walking uh, being filled with Spirit. Being filled with Spirit means being living your life under the control of the Holy Spirit. There are three things that evidence it, and we've seen this before. You, he says it in verse 19. There's a song in your heart, saying and making melody in your heart to the Lord. There's a song. And that's how you know. Second evidence is verse 20. You have an attitude of gratitude. You're thankful. You realize you deserve hell. And anything that God gives the next breath and beyond is a gift. And so there's an attitude of gracious thankfulness. And then the last thing, verse 21, is submission. Uh, is the last evidence, how do I know that I'm walking, filled with the Spirit, under His control, 
Well, the command, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submission uh, with the authorities in life. Listen, all of us have authorities in life. Every single one of us have authority. And, and living a submissive life um, is, a, is a mark of the Spirit's control in your life and mine. Now, from that, he moves to our text for today, He's going to go then and demonstrate in the marriage as a, by way of illustration is really what it is of this very principle I just uh, uh, elucidated. In verse 22 through 24, he's going to deal with the, uh, God's role for the wife now. Since he designed marriage, it's his idea. Then uh, like uh, an owner's manual uh, for a car, he knows how it works. When in doubt, read the manual. Are you like me? You get something in the mail, put it together. That last thing I do is read the directions. You've got to have like double PhDs to figure some of that stuff out. I only pull those things out if I can't find my way. Or if I end up with a, you know, six or eight extra nuts, I go like, uh-oh. Did they give extra or did I miss something? You know, like I better look at the schematic, you know. <laughs> when in doubt, read the manual. We live in a nutty day with mush between the ears. I mean, I'm telling you, it's nuts. What it really is is spiritual warfare at every level. And Satan would love to ruin our country. He'd love to ruin marriages. He loves to ruin churches. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, I'm telling you. So read the manual. So let's see what the manual says. Verse 21, submit to one another. That's men and women. That's uh, everyone. We ought to take the lower spot out of fear for Christ. Then he goes into 22. Here's the text. Wives, now see the word submit there in the NIV? Not even in the original. I hate to tell you that, guys. I know all men know this verse. But it's not even there in the original. It's so strong, the imperative sense in verse 21, that it it says like this. Wives, to your husbands. It's implied, okay? You know what that means. As to the Lord, verse 23, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, which is his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Well, that's our text. And that's a text that's both loved and it is hated in our day. I mean, it is hated. We'll talk about a little bit about what, what I mean by that. Well, look at the introduction. Last week, we studied the very first marriage, and it was beautiful in every way. Wasn't it? Beautiful. God had made a man and then built a woman uh, to be his helper, a wife. All is well. Too bad it didn't end there. They lived happily forever after. How about that? Happily forever after. Well, Something happened. The bottom dropped out. There's an expression, right? What in the world happened? The nuptials, they were thrilled with each other. Beautiful. Well, Genesis 3. Never forget Genesis 3. It's one of the most important chapters. They're all important. But of all the importance, Genesis 3 tells us that the world that we on this side of Genesis 3 live in is abnormal. This is not normal. Something happened. It's abnormal. Sin. The wages of sin is death. And the evidence of all that is everywhere. We live in that kind of world. On an average number, 150,000 people die every single day around the world. 
That's a lot of deaths. That's a lot of funerals. And Natasha this week, what a heartbreak that was. What a terrible thing. Fell on the bunny slope. Didn't even hit a tree. I thought she might have hit a tree when I first heard about it. A little bit of bleeding in the brain. And within hours, she's dead. What a, a, be- what a shame. It happens. It's a fallen world, death reigns, someday life will swallow up death. Don't you love that in Corinthians? I love that. That's our world. Genesis 3 is the explanation. Never lose a good grip on that. It's all important. When our first parents chose to rebel and to sin against God, who had warned them, don't do it. And the day you eat of that tree, dying, you will die indeed. In the Hebrew, it's emphatic. It's like saying, don't do it. Like your parents say, don't do that, don't do that. And then what do you do? Like, we do it, don't we? That's how bad our problem is. I'm right there with you. Well, what happened? Everything that God, God had promised death and everything related came in. Now Eve is told in that Genesis account, that's Genesis 3.16, she is told by God that her husband would now rule over her. Roar. They were to be co-regents, side by side. Beautiful. But now for her protection, and now because there needs to be an authority structure and uh, uh, in the world that we live in, God said, Adam will now rule over you. Well, thus began the distortion of marriage. As men and women, as men, would begin to abuse their wives. They would abuse them. They would multiply their wives. They would treat them harshly. They would beat them. They would ignore them. They would do all the horrible things, horrible things through the ages that men have done to their wives. In the abusive, uh, uh, authoritative, fisted rule over women, they counted like property. And it's an abuse. It's a horrible distortion. God never intended that. Never. Never. And on the other hand, let me call it the battle of the sexes, the the women at that point said, I'm not having you rule over me. And all of a sudden she's grabbing the reins of authority that were for her husband to have. And so you have this uh, abusive, strong hand on one hand with the men, and you have the women saying, no way, Jose. Uh-uh, I don't think so, not you. This kind of thing. And you have the total aberration of what God originally intended and designed from that garden wedding in Genesis chapter 2. Wow. And now we come to our day where we are, right? Well, the good news is that the gospel of Jesus changes all of that. He does. God changes lives. We live in a world of psychobabble where people's well, people who are who they are, and they never change. Well, that's truth. Just throw your Bible out. Because God is in the, in the whole business of changing people's lives. I know he's changing me. He's changing you. If you know him as Lord and Savior, he's making you from the heart outward in character like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what the Spirit of God is doing. It's called sanctification. He's changing you. He's making you far better than what you, uh, what you were. That's his word. And he changes lives. He changes husbands. He changes wives. He changes us. 
And it's possible now, even as we've read the greater text in Ephesians 5, for husbands and wives to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. They can see much of it when they do so of this curse reversed and have the sweet, blessed marriage that God would have us to have. You know that's possible. Some of you know of some, some sweet, blessed marriages. Maybe you came from a family that uh, had that kind of marriage. Maybe a mom and dad, maybe a, maybe a granddad and grandmom. You remember that, or a neighbor. It is, the, it is what God does. He is. It can be reversed. As I said in our prayers, that may, uh, a home can be the closest thing toward heaven, and that's God's desire for every one of you. It is. Even with two sinful people, and if you're both saved, and you know the forgiveness of sin, God can, God can give that a taste of heaven. It ought to be that. Or it can be the other extreme. It can be more horrible than hell itself. You feel the awfulness of it, the rejection of it, and many of you know that. You do. It can be one or the other. Well, in our text, Paul is saying that wives are to revere to, or to respect, in other words, their husbands. So let's, let's, I meant to also read, look at verse 33. We're going to expound that verse as well. He concludes with this section after finishing them with a the husband. Verse 33, however, each one of you also must love his wife, that's the men, as he loves himself, and here's the wife, and the wife must respect her husband. In the, uh, in the Greek, it's the word phobos, phobia, you know, we get the word fear from. It's not a terrifying, oh, here he is, run and hide. No, it's not that. It's not the, the, we're never to do that with God. It's the idea of a reverence, admiration, awe, for that man. That's the idea of it in this sense. And so then two ways that you as a wife ought to respect your husband. By doing so, you'll, you will be, you will be, it'll cause you to be absolutely beautiful. And women love uh, beauty. And uh, men especially love it when their wives are beautiful. You'll be beautiful, not only in the eyes of your husband, but also in the eyes of God. And it will be a more complete picture of the Lord as the, as the bridegroom's love for his bride, the church. Well, two ways. The first way is verse 33b. We just read that, that the wife must respect or fear her husband. And the first way is respect your husband for who he is and what he does for you and for yours. Fear him, respect him, revere him is what he's saying. Let me give you several uh, ways in which you can do that. And we're going to end up with uh, just a, a sheet that I used and made a couple changes on it. We did this years ago, and we'll distribute that at the end and show you some real practical ways. I don't want <clears throat> to leave any sort of fogginess. I want to paint a picture, and we'll do the same thing. You lay, I know the, I'm going to say it now, because when are you going to do the men next week? Okay? <laughs> So I'll say that because uh, the, the ladies will make sure they drag their men here next week. I had to endure this last week. You're coming next week. Okay. <laughs> Several ways. A, all right, admire your husband. How do you fear the Lord? That's what we're talking about. How do you fear or revere or respect your husband? A, admire your husband's desire to work and to achieve. 
Admire him for that. All right? God built a man to go out and to conquer the challenges of the world. He's, we're, we're wired that way. We, uh, it really winds our clock to do that. We love to solve problems. We're the problem solvers. It's a way of conquering. I don't know if you ever thought about it. I connected these thoughts this week. It's taken me a long time. Faith and I have been married 33 years in May. And uh, I discovered about 20 years into this thing that she didn't always want me to solve her problem. It's like, it took, I just, uh, it's just, men, just bear with me here because we're just in a different orbit on this thing. And like, uh, and I thought like, now wait a minute now, admire your man as a conqueror, as a problem solver, and so we feel like we're showing love when they're in tears, right men? They're, they're bawling away and we're completely and utterly clueless. Have no idea if it's the electric bill or the cat or something. We, you know, we're like, hold on here. And what we hear the whole thing, and then we kind of get the sense, and we want to go right to the home plate, right? We want to solve it. Let's solve this, and she'll stop crying, and the world would be better. That's the way a guy thinks, right? Because it's very uncomfortable when they're crying. Isn't it right? Amen? No amens over here. No, that's right. You go like, this is really, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable here. Let me solve the thing. And then they get upset, right? Don't they? The gals get upset because... They, a, they didn't want to solve. B, they wanted to continue to, to emote. And we're like, I got the gist here. I think I got the answer. They just love your man as, as the problem solver. And so that sort of worked for me when I thought through that this week. Anyway, from Eden, Adam enjoyed work. In Genesis 2.15, God gave him something to do. This is before the fall. He used to tend and take care of the garden. I mean, it was working. It didn't work against them. Imagine that. If you had employees, they were, they, actually, they showed up and they worked. And they weren't complaining and griping and all the rest. There weren't any employees. It worked well. It worked very well. God gave man something to do, and he enjoyed the work. Work was to be a blessing, something to do, something to accomplish. I got news for you. If you got up every day and you had nothing to do, Get ready. We're all going to the funny farm. I'm telling you. Wouldn't that be awful? We're going to do this. Same thing as yesterday. Boring. You know, like, oh, this is, I want to do something. I mean, I go on vacation for a week, and beyond that, you know, I get kind of, I don't know if it's withdrawal or what. I just, I just kind of get antsy. Got to do something. And if I should retire early with that, just faith will have to shoot me. Don't blame her. But I just have to die in the saddle or something. I'm just worthless. I'll be there telling her how to direct her kitchen. She'll shoot me. That'll be the end of it, you know? You got to have something to do. And God gave us something to do. Be thankful for that. I know we're not. Monday morning, you get up and go, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. I got it. All right. Right, John? <laughs> I see you looking for quarters there. <laughs> Right, I know, but be thankful for something to do. Think of the, uh, the alternative, you know? And so, ladies, admire your man for his uh, desire to work and to achieve and, uh, and his work to provide for a family. You know, your husband needs you to believe in him. I mean, the rest of the world probably hopes he fails. Uh, you can't do it. You're a dumb banana. You can't do it. Why try? And you hear that all the time. People are so encouraging. Have you ever noticed that? Not. 
and, the, and you are so valuable, you believe in him that he can do it. And you know if you do that, he'll aspire and climb the Mount Everest of life more than he would otherwise. Otherwise, he just might pack it in. Why try? Wow. I'm telling you, work is so important to him. When, when a man meets another man, one of the first questions he asks is what? <laughs> what do you do? And not that we're trying to pigeonhole, but work is so important. We just kind of like to see what do you do and how does that fit in and do you enjoy that and, you know, that kind of thing. Just the way a guy is wired. I think more, the, the gals tend to be more relationally minded, you know. Faithful one, like, is everything okay with everyone everywhere? I go, oh my word, that's the goal? We're in trouble. <laughs> We're in trouble. I'm going out to the garage and... And turn on my wood saw. You know, I'm going to make something, do something. You know, that kind of thing. That's how guys are. That's how we so admire him. B, look at B. Appreciate or honor his role as your protector or provider. Honor him that way. God built him to care for you that way. He did. So honor him and his desire to protect and to provide. Husbands and wives are spiritually equal. We are joint heirs, Peter says, 1 Peter uh, 3. Joint heirs of the things of Christ. We stand on shoulder-to-shoulder level grounds in the things of salvation. Equal in every way. Okay? Before God. Equal. That's biblical teaching. But, typically, the man is stronger. Typically. Right? It's true. I had a... I won't tell you that story. But... Typically so. The man is stronger, and he desires to be revered for taking care of you. He's your protector. He wants to do that. I mean, when you hear a sound downstairs when you're sleeping, assuming you have a two-story, right? I mean, he doesn't lean over and say, you know, honey, I'm a little bit afraid. Can you go check things out? (laughs) And if you do that, man, I really don't want to hear that story. (laughs) I don't think I could ever get that out of my mind, you know? Men generally do not love women that kill their own snakes. Now that's, you know, you don't read that in the Word, but it's sort of true. Don't worry, honey, I got this one, you know. (laughs) So, you know, small ways and large. Why are women afraid of mice? I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, it gives me a chance to stand up there and whack that mouse, right? I've done that. I've done that. That's another story. So, you know, appreciate him for his desire to, I mean, he's from the, from the midsection up, he's got a lot more muscle mass. There's a reason for that, right? Anatomical uniqueness. Blessed, equal, but different roles that God has. Have you noticed that? Really? Well, don't ever belittle him in this. And here's a don't ever compare him with other men. Not good. Why can't you be like, you know, instantly he sort of wants to punch the guy out in his mind. And, he, he, you know, you don't want him to hate the guy. No, don't do that. Why can't you have, you know, guns? Like, no, don't do that. Okay? So honor him as your protector. It's a way of revering him and fulfilling Matthew 33. Revere him. Respect him for that. C, respect your husband's desire to serve and to lead. God built him to be your leader. Yeah, number one, God calls the leader. In, in verse 23, we read that, that he's, uh, he's the head. Uh, just as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the head of the wife. 
ahead. You know, sometimes you'll know they say, well, you're the head. Well, what in the world is that? You know? <laughs> you're the head. Well, what is it? Let's say it means that he is the final authority and responsibility in the home. It's like the head of state kind of a thing. Now, then the reality, the way it works out, is, is that typically, you know, you do life together, and uh, you share life to its fullest in every way, and uh, you come to agreement on this and that, you know, do we paint it this or we do that, or we, do we buy that house, like Danny mentioned, or this or that. And you, you, so you come to agreement. Very, very rarely do you have a real honest disagreement after prayer, after talk, after counsel. Uh, if it comes to that, and there are only a, not too many times, I don't think, unless we're utterly selfish, that that happens. But when that does happen... God has an order. It's an ordained order. That ladies, and you say, honey, then, um, you know, you are going to give an answer for this marriage before the Lord. And though I don't agree, um, I think we should do it your way. And not to say, mm, I hope it fails. <laughs> don't do that. Okay? Really pull for it. Those are few, so few and far between. Few and far between. There was a time when, when I was teaching as associate professor in a college, uh, about 19 years ago. And I always go back, and, and Faithy just loved the life and the college life for the ladies and all that. And, and through a lot of tears, uh, she wondered um, when I received a call into the Harrisburg area, why should we leave and, and go down? And everything's great and wonderful here. And uh, it was very hard for her. Very hard. It took me, I used to say, what, a year, honey? Get my girls down 81. <laughs> and, uh, and so on. She said, I'm just trusting you to make the right choice here. Where's Mark? I want to talk to him. You know, kind of, <laughs> kind of a thing. But uh, the Lord uh, worked that through. And then years later, all, all the kids said, Dad, that was such a good decision. And uh, so on. But the Lord works that way. And, and I felt you know, that I had her support and approval, and it made me feel that much more under the weight to really make a wise decision in this. And not some sort of goofy thing where I fell out of bed and hit my head and let's make a right turn here or something. You, you know, we can do that kind of thing. Well, the point of it is, is uh, we'll get to, uh, one man writes, appreciating your husband's desire to lead the family it takes, ladies, it takes faith in the Lord. It takes courage. You know, he's not going to drive the car off the cliff with you in it and the kids maybe and strength on your part. But it will work. Trust the Lord for he will work through him. He will. He will. Just commit that to the Lord. A man plans his steps, Proverbs says, but the Lord, no, he plans his way, but the Lord directs his every step. So uh, trust the Lord. Look at D. If, admire your husband's desire uh, for a sexual intimacy. I mean, revere him in this. Respect him. Admire him. God made him different from you. Appreciate the difference. I mean, you read some things in a kind of humorous way that the only difference is the plumbing between the genders. I got news for you. <laughs> it's a lot deeper than that. And some of you have discovered that. Amen, Jim? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, that's <laughs> Everyone else says, oh, I don't know if I should say amen here. You know? 
There is far more than the plumbing. I got news for you. It goes right to the very heart of every individual cell. If you were a geneticist, you, had, uh, you could type it uh, that uh, XY uh, and XX. And the XX is very different than the XY, and every cell of the body is different. Have you noticed that? Men, you have. I know you have. I know you have. I have. Wow. Well, number one, just as ladies, you need emotional release. Men, learn that. Learn that. Takes a long time, but learn that through talking to him. So he has a need for physical release through sexual intimacy. And maybe that's a way to help you think about that, ladies. You're like, he's an animal. He's not an animal. He's different. Some of you are laughing. You hear these kind of things. This is a serious message here now. He's not. He's different. Appreciate the differences. I thought the ladies would be in tears here. Not everyone laughing here. <laughs> Appreciate the differences that God is uh, between husband and, and wife. Uh, and, and be thankful, number two, that God has designed him to pursue you in intimacy. Don't, don't belittle him because he's wired so differently from you. Respond to his advances. Well, respect your husband for who he is and for what uh, he does for you and yours. Let me, well, let me remind, I said, you know, it's like a titanic spiritual battle going on and, we're, and marriage seems to be losing in our day and so many fronts. Uh, I read this thing on, to show you the battle that's being waged. Uh, there was, a, uh, there was a, a statement made, it's called the Declaration of Feminism uh, a number of years ago. And uh, this was a document uh, that is really one of the cornerstones of the feminist movement that has helped shape the feminist agenda. Let me quote from this uh, Declaration of Feminism to show you how antithetical it is to God's uh, role for the wife and for the husband, and uh, particularly in this. Here's a quote. Marriage, on this Declaration of Feminism, marriage has existed for the benefit of men. And has been a legally sanctioned method of control over women. The end of the institution of marriage is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. Therefore, it's important for us to encourage women to leave their husbands and not to live individually with men. Now we know that it is the institution of marriage that has failed us, and we must work to destroy it. End of quote. That's the Declaration of Feminism. How horrible is that? How horrible. Well, John MacArthur, speaking on the same theme and subject, puts it this way, and quote, Most feminists are more subtle. Rather than call for the end of marriage, they simply deny the wife's duty to submit to her husband and what that means. I think he's right. Well, there's a second way. Not only verse 33, revere or fear, reverence your husband, admire him, uh, hold him in high esteem, and he'll climb more mountains with you. He needs you. But second, look at Respect your husband by submitting to him. Oh, there's that terrible word. But verse 21, I'm reminded that men and women were all called to submit. In fact, it's a mark of uh, being under the control of God's Spirit. Let's... Uh, Let's note a few questions to help us uh, think about this. A, what, what does it mean to submit anyway, that horrible word? Well, so-called that is. It means to voluntarily place yourself at a lower rank. Some of you were in the military. 
And some of you served uh, uh, commanding officers and above you that you considered complete idiots. Yeah, I've heard stories. He's an idiot. He's going to get the whole thing wiped out and killed. You know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> but they teach the, uh, the command in the military so that, you know, you're not even to think. If they said go right, you all go right, you know. I guess that's part of the purpose of, of basic training and, and all that, to, to get to, out of your head the idea of being a civilian and an independent player and, and or thinker, but you are to respond to authority in the military. Well, the idea of this word is, is uh, let's say that you were a five-star general, uh, and you are, you are commanded, you and I are commanded to submit, to place ourselves voluntarily. It's not a draft. You can't command it. Voluntarily, even if you are greater in many, many ways, at a lower position underneath, in this case, husband and wife, verse uh, 22. That's what, that's what the word in its, its sense means. Hupoteso is the Greek word, to, to place underneath. It means that even if you are more gifted, ladies, and you are, an honest man will say, my wife has far more intelligence and giftedness than I do. I've heard the men say that for forever, and it's true. It's certainly true, particularly in a lot of areas. I'm not a real detailed person. Faith, he is. She is in so many areas and things that she does. It amazes me. Wears me out, frankly. <laughs> and I think about all that. I don't know how she does it all. She keeps all these like mobiles going at the same time. I'm a one-dimensional kind of got, you know, I do this and I can get it done. And uh, I don't know how, you know, feed the baby, do and all these things. And they're doing it well. And and you sit down, and the dinner's all hot at the same time. Forget it, you know. Unless it's a, a TV dinner, you stick in there, and you pull out, it's all hot at the same time, but it's not quite the same, is it? She's amazing. Well, they're gifted. Our wives are gifted. The ladies are gifted by God with certain gifts and abilities far more. And it's a wise man that recognizes that and honors his wife in that. But ladies, what he's saying is that at, at uh, your role is, is to place yourself under your husband's authority, even if you are multiply more gifted, more brilliant, did better on your SAT, all that whole business, you know. Uh, is it, well, B, to whom is a wife to submit? Verse 22 tells us that. Clearly, wives submit to your husbands, and that's the point. Only to your husband. Only. That's it. Only. It's not, uh, and here's the point. You need not marry. And singleness is a good thing, the text says. 1 Corinthians 7. It's a good thing. That's something wrong with you if you're single. It's a gift, God said. But if you choose to marry, then what he's saying, you must do this. You have no duty to submit to any other man. Merely because he's a man and you're a woman. None. None. If there was the most qualified woman running for the President of the United States, I would vote for her and support her. The Bible doesn't forbid that. You see? There's some goofy thoughts on that that uh, and different people have. Well, you know, the man's the head of the house. He ought to run all the business. He ought to be 
head of state too. Well, no, I draw the line where the Bible draws the line and it'll, it'll keep you out of trouble. The Bible doesn't forbid that. It doesn't forbid a woman from being a CEO or CFO. If she can balance her responsibilities, more power to her. That's a wonderful thing. You see? But the institution of marriage in the home, God has an ordained order there. And it's not based upon anything other than the creative order and the, and the first fall, because Eve was tempted, deceived, but Adam sinned with his eyes wide open. God has, because of the creation order, placed the man uh, over the woman in this idea of submission and authority. All right, so it's only your husband. You have no duty to, to submit to any other men. And men have no sense of walking around saying, well, I'm a man, I'm better than all women. I'm sorry, you're really off. You're not. We all stand on equal footing. So you got that? So submission gets a bad rap because it's not unfolded biblically it's to help us think biblically and to know what it is that God has said here. We meet each other on equal ground. But if you're married... There is an order there. Well, the church is the only other institution where God has men designed to, to lead. Without apology, that's what the Word says. There's some fancy dancing going on in seminaries and hermeneutical studies that somehow blend the genders, and that's how you end up with uh, women pastors and deacons and, and all the rest. But you have to cut and paste your Bible because the Bible is absolutely clear on that. It's not the word anthropos, meaning man, men and women. It's Andre. Let a man, if he desires to be an elder, an Andre, a man, if he desires to be a deacon, God has ordained local church leadership to be male-led. And the reality is it's not all men everywhere in a church. It's only a handful of men. So there you go. So that's the teaching of the Word and remember, I'm just the delivery guy. I'm delivering the papers, delivering the word. I mean, if it said something different, I'd tell you that. I would, I promise you. All right, we'll see. Why does a woman need to submit? Why does a woman need to submit to her husband? The answer is he is her head, her leader. 523, the text makes it clear. As Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is the leader, the head of his wife. The human body, and that's the imagery, always responds to the head if it's healthy. It does. Otherwise, it's spastic, right? If my hand's over here shaking and my brain isn't saying shake, you know I've got a problem. It's disease, it's illness, but when it's coordinated and working well, the body always responds. I wrestled for a lot of years, some of you guys did, and uh, even had to coach it for a while. I used to teach... It's an amazing anatomical phenomenon on the mat. The body will always follow the head. You, you take the head that way, guess what comes with it? There comes the rest of the body. Whether you're doing hip throws or Granby rolls, all kinds of things. Even the little toes would end up coming with it. The whole body. The body follows the head. It's a simple picture. We all know that. We know how that works. That's the imagery that God tells us through Paul's pen of a healthy, spirit-controlled marriage. Well, D, how does a wife submit to her husband? Just as Christ submits, or as the church submits to Christ, does so in love. 
for him as the primary motive for all obedience. Love. Love. We love the Lord, and so we want to please him. And uh, a wife loves her husband, and therefore she needs to submit to him. Love. Love. Now, it's interesting, isn't it, that, that uh, the women are not told to love their wives. This, this passage is going to tell us the two things. Really, a wife chiefly needs to do this, and a man, we'll see next week, needs to chiefly do this. And they're different. They're different. I think, basically, God has designed a woman to be a love being anyways. They just, uh, unless they've been hurt, unless they've been abused, I think they grow up uh, by, with, with a propensity to love things that are beautiful and, and relationships and all that kind of flows from, again, unless they're marred and hurt or abused. And then it's still in there, but you hurt for them and you cry because it's pent up. It's distorted. It, it wants to come, but they're afraid. And you, you know these things. But a man is different. And so God's going to say something completely different to him. And so maybe that's the difference. And E, look at this. How far does a wife need to go in her submission? Oh boy, here we go. You mean I have to follow him? Well, the Lord said that in the text in verse 24, in everything. And a wife should submit to their husbands. There it is. In everything. Oh boy, that's pretty all-inclusive, Pastor. How to? Well, let me say this. Uh, it, it, uh, it's not absolute. It's not absolute, but as a general rule, with one exception, and here's the qualifier, in the Colossians 3.18 passage, which parallels our passage in Ephesians, gives us, you're to do it as is fitting in the Lord, anakin, fitting, that which is right or proper, in the Lord, in the Lord. You see, she is not to be led into sin. Men, you are never to lead your wives into sin. It happens. You're not to do it. You're not to do it. Um, the ladies are studying Esther in their Monday night study, and Vashti was, uh, was uh, asked by her husband to come b before this, uh, his buddies in the drunken, probably filled with all sorts of debauchery feast that went on for days and days there in Persia. And the question is, why did she refuse? Well, it's not so said in text, but I think it's clear. He wanted her to dance uh, naked before uh, all these men so they could gawk at her and gaze at her and all the rest. And she said, no way. Of course, she got demoted. But uh, as, a, as a picture there, and if, uh, if I'm right on that, men, you're not to lead your wives in the sin of any sort. And ladies, if that happens, you appeal to the Lord. I cannot do that. that. You don't punch them out. Don't do that. You don't cuss them out. Don't do that. Don't pout. Don't do anything else. Say, Lord, help me. Keep your sweetness of the Lord and your kindness, but just appeal to the Lord and say, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I think I put that down, didn't I? Even if you cannot go along with your man in his sin, Refuse to do so with a sweet and a gentle spirit. Do that. And, uh, and the Lord will work. And maybe the Lord will work deep conviction in your, in your man. That he, what are you doing, man? You're hanging over the edge. Don't leave me here. 
and, and you. Well, that's uh, God's description of the beautiful wife, and she's truly beautiful. Now, we have a, a practical handout sheet. Dave and Anna are going to pass this out. I didn't want to give it ahead of time because you'd all be reading it while I'd be preaching. I know because if I was sitting there, I'd be reading it. So I just know that. Now, this is very similar to something we gave out a number of years ago. But I wanted to get, and we'll do, ladies, we'll do something like this next week. You know, like, will you do this for the men? Yes. Okay. So, uh, but let's look at lesson number one. It just begins with this, is that God desires you to be saved. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior from your sin, you need to cry out to him and confess, I'm a sinner lost under judgment, and be willing to turn from that receiving Christ as Savior and God will save you today. You can know that. You can know that. And God will say, that's, the, that's step number one in having the kind of marriage and home to be the wife if you're a woman, and if you're married or going to be married, <clears throat> that God desires you to be. Oh, do that. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And then second, let's just talk about this, okay? Everyone look at Roman numeral one, okay? Some practical ways in which your husband will know that you dearly respect him. Egrets uh, is, is uh, uh, most of these come from him. Roman number one, your husband will feel you appreciate his desire to work when, and achieve when you tell him verbally or in writing that you value his work efforts. You know, write a little note and stick it in his bologna sandwich. <laughs> Some of you do that. You've done that. You know, like, get his attention. He probably will eat it and won't even notice it. <laughs> Hey, that was an extra good sandwich today. I don't know what was in it, you know. <laughs> but however you do that, you express your faith in him related to his chosen field of work. You know, he's going to have struggles. We all have that. Encourage him in that. You listen to his stories as, he clo as closely as you expect him to listen to your accounts of what happens in the family. You know, that, that, and, 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 and an undivided attention kind of thing. And we, we, we know you're probably good at doing five things at once, but, you know, if you look, and the, and the eyes are so good. If you just look in the eyes, you know, we're going to say it next week, guys, too, believe me. You see yourself as his helpmeet and counterpart and talk with him about this whenever possible. You allow him to dream, as you did when you were courting, don't ever stop dreaming either. I don't mean at night, okay? But dream. Sometimes we have these great dreams when we're young and we kind of like, well, reality sets in. You know, what, are we walk into the cemetery? Just throw me in. I'm dead. I can't. No, dream. Don't stop. Look at two. Your husband will feel you appreciate his desire to protect and provide when you verbalize your admiration of him for protecting you and being willing to die for you. He would, you know. He would do that. Not too many people would do that. He would. Someone came in our house, I'd run down the stairs, and I would not be welcome wagon either. <laughs> you know? I've, I've determined that years ago. I'd be flying down there. I would say, Faith, it's your turn, you know? <laughs> so ladies get the point there. Appreciate them for that. It's a little screwed up. Can I say it? And I mean, I'm all for gals in the military. They do so many things. 
but please don't put them with a rifle out there on the front line. There's something about that. I, I don't know. Some of you are in the middle. You can fill me in a little bit. It just doesn't seem right. I don't know. We're talking about the family, not the government here. All right. Um, so you, never, you never mock the idea of looking... You never mock the idea of looking up to him as your protector to prevent him from looking down upon you. You never in word or body language put down his job or how much he earns. You quietly and respectfully voice concerns about finances and try to offer solutions on where you might be able to cut spending. And trying to live within the budget together, pulling together on that thing. It's important. You know, typically in a marriage, one's a spender, one's a saver. You've got to come together and work on that. Number three, your husband will feel you appreciate his authority and leadership when you tell him you're thankful for his strength and enjoy being able to lean on him at all times. Oh. You support his thoughts as your leaders, as your leader. I mean, sometimes they're really goofy, aren't they? I mean, we say dumb things. But you've got to have an environment where you can say it and you're not attacked by it. Because sometimes just saying it airs it out and you go like, that was really dumb, wasn't it? <laughs> and, you know, you hardly say anything. But it, just think if you never said those things and you just said, well, I got this idea, I'm going to go do it. You need to air it out in a free environment, kind of, you know, where she's looking at you and you're looking at her and you go like, yeah, thanks. That, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you support his thoughts as your leader. You, you never say, you're responsible, but we're still equal, so don't make a decision I don't agree with you on. Reality is, you're going to agree on 98% of them. You will, you will, you will. But well, there may be sometimes. There may be. There may be. One of my favorite flicks I don't often mention is uh, what's the name of that? There. Yeah, I don't know. The line is that he he wants to change jobs and, and uh, change locations, and she had a hard time with it. And. Uh, and she wanted to raise the kids in the home they were in and all that. And they had a discussion. And finally she comes back to him and she says, I love you and I'll go wherever you feel the need you need to go. Because my love for you is more important than an address. Oh, I thought that's a good line. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? What's the name? Oh, the family man. Yeah, I knew that. Hey, that fits in with the title. <laughs> you praise his good decisions. You're gracious if he makes a bad one. Please, underline that one. Gracious when we make a bad one. We do that occasionally, don't we? Amen. One amen. That's all we're getting here. We're not getting much. You disagree with him only in private and honor his authority in front of the kids. Be careful about this one. Be very, very careful. You're... The kids are going to pick up your attitude about their dad from you. Be careful about that. I guess we had always such a lofty uh, attitude about my father, a kind of a reverence, because my mother was in awe of him. And she'd be talking about, uh, with all the kids around the kid, 
about all your father was able to do, and she was like in awe of him, and like we were like sort of afraid of him if we crossed him, but then kind of in awe of him. And it made it real easy for us to be in awe of God that way, our, our Heavenly Father. And the last one, you give your reasons for disagreeing quietly and reasonably, but you never attack his right to lead. Be careful about that. He needs your input. Your ideas are more valuable than... All right, number four, Roman rule four. Your husband will feel you appreciate him when you tell him that you like him. He knows you love him, I think, but he's not sure if you like him. There is a difference. Have you noticed? (laughs) Tell him that you like him and you show it. He knows you love him, but often he wonders if you really like him. You respond to his invitation to engage in recreational activities together or watch. You did that when you were dating. You fooled them. A lot of girls do that. Well, I like football. Oh, you do? Yeah, they're sitting there while they're dating watching football. Right? None of you do that. But I've heard people do that. Then they get married a little bit. No, I hate that thing. You know. You going to watch that thing again? Yeah. All right. Well, watch it with him. He'll love you for it. It goes fast anyway. You, you encourage him to spend time alone. That's important. The ladies, don't take that as negative. Sometimes men need to unwind. And they need to maybe read a sports magazine or trade magazine or do just they just need time. They need time. Uh, I know I know even talking to our Sarah, Greg comes home from the emergency room and it might have been a horrible time. He might have pronounced a couple deaths and he comes in and you know, Sarah's waiting for him and we 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 talked about, you know, this with her and she said, Dad, Greg comes in and he just, he says, honey, don't be upset. I just need time alone. I got I to gotta get a grip here again. And then I'll be back. Don't worry, you know. He just needs that alone time. So don't take that as rejection. Just kind of the way we're, we're wired. Where's Stephen? Stephen Large. Stephen gets that driving, right, Stephen? Yeah, he was telling me how much he loves that. Drives down to D.C. and back every day. Wow. Um, uh, you see his problem-solving ability as a male brand of empathy. Look at it, though. Maybe you never thought of it. He wants to help solve your problem because he's sort of wired that way, and he feels like that's the way he can help. He's not really comfortable with all that emotional stuff. Kind of yicky a little bit. I've learned to appreciate it, and, and, and I'll go that far. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. I mean, it's just sort of... I, I don't, I just, I'm... I'm I'm German nationality, so you know, you gotta, you gotta, you, you realize your vulnerabilities, especially among males, and you value his protection. And last, five, your husband will feel you appreciate his desire for sexual intimacy when you respond to him sexually more often and initiate sex periodically. He'll probably faint at that, you might think about that. You understand his needs, sexual release as as much as your emotional release. That little phrase is very... Imp- that, I think that helps. Ladies understand their, their, their man, that just as much as she needs to, to unpack emotionally. Oh, that, I, I, I've been walking around. I, I didn't realize that with him. Physically, for a man, that will help you. And last, 
You don't try to make him open up to you verbally by, by depriving him of, of uh, intimacy. So just some suggestions, certainly not an exhaustive list. We won't open up for questions. You've been good. <laughs> if people are smiling, see them. They probably got it together here today more than others. You know, what did he mean by this or that? <laughs> and we'll come next week. We'll, uh, we'll have a chance. We'll look at the, uh, the men and bring some folks with you. There are probably some others that could stand to hear God's uh, roles and uh, in the only book he ever gave, the Scriptures. <laughs>